My father then did something quite amazing. He invented the truss rod. He had no idea about truss rods, and of course this one would not be adjustable, but that's more or less what it was. It was an iron bar, however, as it was all that he had that would work, and my father was ever one for overbuilding. I remembered the time he'd repaired my Uncle Bert's leather motorcycle jacket, but riveted a piece of linoleum to it. It was as ugly as hell, but it served to keep the wind out, and my Uncle Bert was as pleased as Punch. I was also as pleased as Punch, because the iron bar quadrupled the weight of the guitar. He then drilled tiny holes through the plastic into the wood and used a countersinking drill in order that the screw heads would not stand proud of the surface. He then made the block of wood secure with two dozen small brass screws. As the front is exposed, because I have to cut the plastic away, I've set the block of wood level with the face of the guitar. To overcome any weakness to the structure, I'm setting these screws into the bottom and sides, he told me. This is in order that the pull of the strings will be spread over the body as much as possible. That way the plastic will not give way under the strain. He then went on to set a small brass rod where the existing nut was situated. He made four grooves with a delicate file in which to set the strings and the job was complete. My father had been in the Royal Engineers in the army and seemed to understand things like stress factors and all kinds of mysteries. Suddenly there it was and all I had to do was refit the strings and set them on the bridge. One weekend trip to Steve's house and his father set about placing the bridge in such a way as to make it sound like a musical instrument. Well, Vic, your father can certainly set his hand to anything. I would never have credited it. This is now almost a real guitar. I cannot get the intonation accurate over the entire neck but as long as you only play up to the seventh fret, it shouldn't sound too bad. Not too bad at all. I thanked Mr Bruce profusely and Steve and I went off to see what sort of sound we could get out of it. I loved the fact that it now had wooden parts. I loved the brass screw heads visible on the soundboard and the brass nut. I loved the dull gleam of the steel tailpiece. The sound left a lot to be desired, but the improvement had been staggering. Somehow this was an instrument more likely to attract Papa Legba's attention. It was a poor man's guitar, but Lou's men were poor, so that was a mark in its favour. Steve put the guitar into open E tuning for me and gave me a set of pitch pipes in order that I could tune it when it lost its tuning. I've tuned it to the top four strings of a guitar, Vic, because that won't bow the neck. I've also tuned it down lower, so it isn't really E, it's D, but the shape of the chord is still E. In this tuning, you could 
do things like this. Then he proceeded to show me strums where I fretted different strings to make a simple blues. I got the idea readily enough and started messing around with it. I found an amazing trick after a while where I could repeatedly hit one note before changing into a run of notes. I was slow at first, but after an hour or two, I worked out how to sing crossroad blues. But the repeat line foxed me until Steve made a suggestion. Sing it and I'll see if I can show you where to finger it. I sang the line and Steve tried a few things on his guitar. Ah, it starts in D, then the second line moves to G. So if you fret the second string just there, that should give you a chord that works for G. We continued in this way till I had the song worked out. As soon as I got it, I started singing and singing loudly enough to attract the attention of Mr. Bruce. I sat down at the crossroads with my guitar across my knees. I sat down at the crossroads with my guitar across my knees. Papa Legba, have some mercy on this poor white boy, if you please. Not the original words, of course, but I'd never seen them written down and I'd swung my own change on what I remembered. Going down to the crossroads, take my midnight ride. Going down to the crossroads, take my midnight ride. Nobody gonna see me, so I'll just ride on by. Going down to run for, gonna ride there by and by. Yeah, going down to run for, I'm gonna ride there by and by. Then I'll play that barrel house, baby, down by the riverside. I don't run, I can't run. Tell my friend Stephen Bruce Run, I can't run yet Tell my friend Stephen Bruce That I'll be riding to the crossroads Lord, I believe I'm cutting loose Mr Bruce had been standing in the doorway whilst I'd been singing and came in along with Mrs Bruce they both had huge smiles on their faces as they gave me a round of applause. Delta Blues in Surrey, England, eh? That is something I would never have imagined, chuckled Mr Bruce. Where did you learn that? And how clever of you to change the words? It was on a record that Mr Love had, but the words are not the same, as you noticed. Mr Love said that Blues men always change the words of songs to make them their own. He lived in our road, but he died. He was going to leave me his records in his will, but then it never happened because he had to go to a mental hospital where I wasn't allowed to visit him.
That changed the Bruce's expressions. I'm so sorry, Vic. It sounds as if, as if you spent some happy times with him. Yes, Mrs Bruce, I did, and I will always remember him. He was very kind to me, and so was his sister, Mrs Love. I got that stuck feeling and my eyes heated up. I did my best not to cry and succeeded. But Mrs Bruce noticed and said how sad it must have been. Yes, said Mr Bruce. I was very sad when my brother Stan died. But I'm happy that you have that tailpiece and bridge now. Stan would have liked to have heard you sing that song. And I must say you have a very powerful voice for one so young. Thank you, Mr Bruce. I, I want to be a bluesman one day and you have to have a powerful voice for that. Mr Bruce had heard of Robert Johnson, who wrote Crossroads Blues, and we talked for a while about the different bluesmen and blueswomen I knew. <clears throat> Bessie Smith, Big Mama Thornton, Ma Rainey, Sunhouse, Charlie Patton, Petey Wheatstraw, Blind Lemon Jefferson, and of course, Big Bill Brunsey. Mr Bruce liked Bessie Smith because her blues was similar, in some ways, to jazz. <clears throat> he pulled out his guitar and played one of her songs. It was very intricate and he didn't sing. But I recognised the song. A Ford is a car, everybody wanna ride. Jump on and you will see. I got Ford engine movements in my hips. It's under my guarantee. I joined in. <clears throat> of course, coughed Mr. Bruce at the end of the song. This is not a song you could sing anywhere. It's a trifle risque, offered Mrs. Bruce. Yes, my dear, quite so. But I suppose one has to consider the historical context and perhaps, Vic, you might be careful not to let your father hear you sing anything like this. I'm sorry, Mr. and Mrs. Bruce, I didn't mean to. Think nothing of it, Vic, think nothing of it. There are many things of great historical interest that aren't exactly proper and it would be a shame to lose such things. Anyway, I started playing the song so you were perfectly right to join in. It is entirely my responsibility and you made a fine job of singing it. Steve was in hysterics after his parents left the room. You're a total maniac, Vic, he laughed. That really surprised my parents, but I think they enjoyed it. I could see my mother smiling, so it's not a problem. Sorry, Steve, I don't know what happened. I just got carried away by what your father said about my voice and then he started playing that Bessie Smith number and I was really excited because I knew the words. Maybe you could tell your parents that I'd never sing anything like that at home because I wouldn't like them to be worried about it or anything. I won't sing anything like that again here either. I think that might be better, Steve laughed, or at least not when my parents are around. I don't think they mind, but they probably feel responsible. 
and they wouldn't want your father hearing that my dad had accompanied you singing that Bessie Smith song. He'd probably go through the roof. I was happy with having turned a stupid piece of nonsense into a workable guitar. But in some way, I was happier about the inventiveness of it all. It was thrilling that such things were possible. At one moment, there's nothing, a worthless object. Then there's an idea, and that idea can be followed. It takes hard work and perseverance, but then something real happens. It seemed fascinating the way in which other people would help once they saw that you were serious and working hard to make something happen. Who'd have thought that Mr Bruce and my father would almost have cooperated in putting me on the road to the Mississippi Delta? I pondered the question of invention and inventiveness and concluded that inventiveness must be important in Buddhism. It must be important because ideas come out of nowhere. Ideas come out of emptiness, as everything comes out of emptiness. You could just be sitting there and an idea would spring into existence. I'd read the term plenum void it was in one of the Buddhist books with which I'd struggled and come away with a greater sense of how the universe functioned. The plenum void was the nothingness that was continually giving rise to somethingness. In terms of science, there was voidness and then suddenly there were atoms. Then the atoms in their endless trillions became solidness. Then that solidness exploded into suns that flew off in every direction, some with orbiting planets and some of those planets with orbiting moons. I'd gained that simplistic notion in the science lessons at junior school from the How the Things Began series on BBC Radio. Apart from non-dual awareness, it seemed that science and Buddhism were quite similar in how they saw existence. Everything came out of nothing. Protons, neutrons and electrons. The protons and the neutrons are the centre of the atom and the electrons fly around above them. The ideas were the same. They just came out of the state without thoughts. And inventions, inventions happened that way. So if you were creative and inventive, then you were simply doing what the universe did. Buddhists were natural inventors and Tara was the mother of invention. What a thought. <laughs>